Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is Wednesday, where we focus on practicing either breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, or Buddhist chanting. We're in our second class of our four-part series where I'm sharing with you Buddhist chanting. Last week was our first class, so if you attended that wonderful welcome back, for anybody who's joining us now for the first time that didn't get an opportunity to learn with us last week, that's been recorded on our Facebook page, in our Facebook group, in our YouTube channel, and on our podcast. So you can easily go back and learn what I taught in the first part of this series. But today, we're going to be kind of recapping some of the things that we discussed last week, going through the benefits of chanting, but also chanting together as a group just to kind of get everybody warmed up and kind of in sync and kind of refreshed and chanting together. And then the third thing that we're going to be doing is anybody who's in Zoom, I'm going to provide the opportunity for you guys to open up your mic and do some chanting so that we can all enjoy hearing you chant. So if you're in Facebook or YouTube and you would like to come into Zoom, you'll be able to join us for chanting and actually participate in chanting. And I would really encourage you guys to do that because one of the aspects of learning and practicing and progressing on this path is that when you observe certain aspects of the mind where there's craving, desire, attachment, or you observe discontentedness, is to kind of push through that wall. So if you've felt kind of shy or if you've ever been stage fright or you've worried about how people perceive you when you participate in something like this, then this is actually an excellent time for you to set that aside and break through the wall and let go of that craving, desire, attachment to be perceived in a certain way because you're in a loving, supporting environment where we would only be encouraging and motivating for you. And you can come into Zoom, you can participate, you can open up your mic, you can chant, and you'll see that everybody will be very supportive of you and it'll help you break through any kind of shyness, any discontentedness associated with holding on to this personal existence view where the mind wants to be perceived by the world in a certain way. This is one of the reasons why there's shyness is because the mind is fearful of how it's being perceived. And this is because of that first fetter of personal existence view. So coming into Zoom and actually participating and volunteering to be one of the people who chant, it will actually give you an opportunity to practice the teachings of letting go of the personal existence view, craving and wanting to be perceived by the world in a certain way. Instead, realize that this physical body is in you, this mind is in you, 
you can participate in chanting. There's nothing to fear that you're in a loving environment. And even if you weren't in a loving environment and you participated in something like this, okay, if people laugh, if people joke, if people praise you, if people reward you, if people say you're so great, your goal as a practitioner who's on the path to enlightenment is not allowing the mind to be affected by any of that. Because if you're practicing the middle way and somebody praises you and tells you how beautiful your chanting is, and that arises arrogance or that arises ego or conceit or pride, or if there's pleasant feelings that arise because someone gives you a compliment about how beautiful your chanting is, the mind is discontent. So when you're getting complimented on your chanting, you need to train the mind to not be affected by that, allowing the pleasant feelings to arise. Or you're not going to have this here in this class, but if you were somewhere else and somebody was talking negatively about you and the mind heard those negative words, rather than allow it to arise painful feelings in the mind, you're interested in maintaining that middle way where your mind is unaffected by someone else's unkind speech or unpolite speech. Just realize that that's a lack of their wisdom, their moral conduct, and their mental discipline. So when you go through life and you hear agreeable things and people are agreeable to you, don't allow that to arise pleasant feelings because then when people are disagreeable to you, then the mind's going to experience painful feelings. So your job as a practitioner is to break through that wall of shyness. And when you're experiencing certain things in the world, maintain the middle. Don't allow the mind to move outside of that. Or if you observe that the mind has moved outside of that, cut that off, let it go and bring it back to the middle. So those are the things that we're going to be doing today is, yes, reviewing the benefits of chanting. Yes, chanting as a group. Yes, giving you the opportunity to break through any kind of wall of shyness and practice in a way to let go of this personal existence view, but also as an opportunity for you to train the mind and maintain that middle way, no matter what's going on in your life. This can be very beneficial for you. So I'd like to welcome all of you to today's class. Really pleased that you decided to join Let's go ahead and look at what we discussed last week. I'll just review it very briefly for you because it is included in what we taught last week. But we did teach these benefits of chanting. And it's important for you to understand the benefits of chanting if you're going to develop a chanting practice. And even if you choose not to develop a chanting practice, it's helpful for you to understand the benefits of chanting so that if you're not going to develop a chanting practice, that you find other ways to cultivate these same things in your practice because you're going to need these things. And for me, chanting is the way that I cultivate these things in the mind. But if you're choosing not to do chanting, it's just as important that you understand the benefits of chanting so that you can then find other ways to cultivate these. So when the Buddha taught meditation, he taught to set up mindfulness in front of you. And mindfulness is awareness of mind. During breathing mindfulness meditation, which is the primary style of meditation that the Buddha taught in order to get to enlightenment, you're arising mindfulness or awareness of mind you're developing singleness of mind or right concentration, and you're working to eliminate craving, desire, attachment as part of breathing mindfulness meditation. So rather than just plop down into meditation, the Buddha taught to set up mindfulness in front of you before you actually enter meditation. It's kind of like a way to ease the mind into meditation. And that's the way that I use chanting is to set up mindfulness in front of me before I start meditating. So I don't just plop into meditation, there's kind of like an easing into it. 
And chanting is one of the ways to do that because you need to have a certain awareness of mind to actually chant. And there needs to be a certain level of concentration and memory that are developed as part of chanting. If you weren't concentrating during chanting, you wouldn't be able to actually chant and develop your chanting practice. And there has to be a certain amount of memorization. When you first start, you're usually looking at a paper or a book in order to learn the chants, but over time you build that memory to be able to chant. And I talked about how the mind is much like a muscle where you need to exercise this muscle and if you don't exercise the muscle, then it can't be strong. It can't pick up a heavy suitcase when you travel if you haven't been exercising the muscle. Well, the same thing is if you know the qualities of mind that are on this path to enlightenment, things like right mindfulness and right concentration, and you understand that an enlightened being has a deep, profound memory, then you can kind of exercise the mind with something like chanting to develop your awareness of mind, to develop your concentration, and develop your memory. This is a great way to do that. And if you weren't going to chant, you would need to find other ways to accomplish those same goals. As part of meditation, you need to have a certain awareness of breath. And by chanting, you need to have awareness of breath in order to really develop a nice chanting practice. So this is one of the things that it helps you to do is develop this awareness of breath in your chanting. So then by the time you end up in your meditation session, then you've already got this awareness of breath and you're kind of ahead of the curve in your meditation practice. The chanting can also help to really slow and relax and kind of ease the mind into meditation. That's when I chant is before meditation and after meditation. So Oftentimes when it's time to meditate and the mind is unenlightened, it's going to be really busy. It's going to be really active or it may be lethargic. It may be lackadaisical or lazy. So you kind of need to lift up the mind with chanting perhaps, or you might need to kind of slow it down and relax it and kind of ease it into meditation. And so chanting before meditation gives you that little bit of a buffer to kind of prepare the mind so you get more benefit out of the meditation. So rather than 5, 10, 20 minutes into the meditation, okay, now I'm starting to get benefit. With doing chanting first, you kind of can start getting benefit from within the first minute or two minutes. And then you're going to get a lot more benefit out of the entire session. When we first start our Buddhist practice and we're on this path to enlightenment, oftentimes some people have trouble observing improvement to their practice. And when you're chanting and you're learning chants, it's an audible indication of the improvements of your practice. Because as you're learning the chants and you're memorizing them and you're getting better and better at actually pronouncing the chants, you can hear audibly that your chanting is improving. And this is really motivating and encouraging to your practice that you've got tangible proof that your practice is improving. Because oftentimes the ego is in there or you've got that negative self-talk in the mind during your day telling you you're a horrible person or telling you you're so great and wonderful. And this ego and, and or this negative self-talk can kind of degrade the mind thinking you're either better than you truly are or that you're worse than you truly are. So this audible indication of chanting just kind of shows you like, yeah, I'm making progress here because last week I couldn't pronounce these chants at all and I couldn't remember them at all. But now a week or two later, I'm starting to memorize the chants. I'm starting to pronounce them better. There's a little bit of a nice sound that goes along with the chants. And this can be really encouraging and motivating for your practice. So even when you go out in the world and you 
trip up and you use wrong speech or maybe the mind is discontent or frustrated or angry over a certain particular thing, you can at least start chanting and just kind of ease the mind, relax the mind, get this audible indication that all is well and ease the mind into your meditation. It can be a nice way to kind of help you see that you're improving and give you that motivation that you need. It's also great to build this respect and gratitude for the elders because these chants are not something that I created. They're not even something that anybody who's currently alive today created. These chants were created many, many generations ago, and they've been handed down from person to person to person. And one of the aspects of this path is to have respect for our elders and have gratitude for our elders and not just our elders, but all beings whether they're older, whether they're your same age, or whether they're even a child, by us respecting children, middle-aged people, and older people, by putting out respect into the world, that's what comes back to us. By putting gratitude out into the world, that's what comes back to us. Oftentimes, we're taught that only respect somebody if they respect you first. Well, if that other person is also practicing that same thing, that they're only going to respect you if you respect them first, now everybody's waiting for each other to respect and there's this big log jam. So the way you break through that log jam is you start practicing the good wholesome teachings. You respect everybody. You respect children, middle-aged people and older people. You have gratitude for young people, for middle-aged people and old people. And by you cultivating this in the mind through chanting and then you practicing it in your daily life through your intention, speech and actions, by you putting that out more and more, that's what's coming back to you. So chanting practice can actually help you develop this respect and gratitude. Just as I like to teach the things that are benefits of chanting or benefits of meditation or benefits of the path to enlightenment and all these other things, usually when I'm teaching, I also teach you what things aren't. So just as I teach you what chanting is and how to do it and how it benefits you, I like to teach about what chanting isn't. Chanting isn't magical, mystical power or benefit. There's nothing that you can say through your words that's going to create this mystical, magical benefit. You know, you can't say, make me wealthy today. And that's going to happen. You can't say, get rid of my anger today. And that's going to happen. You can't chant and say, give me an extra long life. And that's going to happen. You can't say, get me to enlightenment right now. And that's going to happen. There's nothing you can say through your words that are going to instantly produce this magical or mystical benefits. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the world that think that way that they believe that if you chant these particular chants or other types of chants, that it's going to instantly produce this mystical, magical benefit for you. But it's not true. The Buddha never taught that. The reason why the Buddha had chanting was for his students to remember his teachings. They learned his teachings orally, and then they remembered them, and then they orally recited them through chanting two times a month. Every two weeks, they would chant his teachings word for word for word. So if he gave a discourse on the five precepts, they would chant that word for word for word. Or if he gave a discourse on the Four Noble Truths, they would chant that word for word for word. And that's how he helped them to remember his teachings because he didn't have the ability during his lifetime to write things down in a book. 
He didn't have podcasts. He didn't have a YouTube videos. He didn't have any of these things that we have today because technology didn't exist to be able to do those things. So he used chanting as a way to help people remember the teachings. But now, 2,500 years later, because there's this language of Pali that not too many people understand, it's kind of taken this mystical, magical thing. Sometimes the way people feel is like the least you know about something the more mystical and magical it is. So let's assign all this mystical, magical benefits to these words in Pali that nobody really knows what they mean. So they must be mystical and magical, right? Because nobody knows what they mean. Well, we know what they mean. We know what the translations are, but there is no mystical, magical benefits here. The Buddha never used chanting that way. He used it as a way to help people remember the teachings so that they could then reflect on those teachings and then they could practice them and train the mind. So while you're chanting, you should not think about this as prayer or that you're eliciting some kind of special benefits. The benefits that you're getting are the things that we talked about. You're getting mindfulness, you're getting concentration, you're getting memory, you're developing awareness of breath, you're easing the mind into meditation, you're getting this audible indication that your practice is improving, you're developing this respect and this gratitude, you're creating this little buffer to ease into meditation and ease out of meditation. That's all that's happening here. There isn't some mystical, magical benefit that's coming to you as a result of your chanting. Let's see if you guys have any questions on this. Again, I taught this last week in a little bit more detail, but I thought I would just review it for anybody who hasn't participated in the class last week and is joining us today. The way that you ask questions on anything that I just shared is in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, put that in the comment section. Our moderators will see that. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions that you like. Hi, David. You mentioned that one of the benefits of chanting was developing awareness of breath. So I was wondering, is it appropriate to stay mindful of our breath during chanting? Yes. You should always be mindful of your breath in chanting because as you chant, you need to kind of take breaths at certain periods or certain times. And as a group, when we chant together, if you're in a large congregation of like a hundred or a thousand, I've been in some groups that are like 20,000, 50,000 people right that are come together for a certain event and everybody's chanting together and when everybody knows the same language and they've all chanted together it's got this real power to it wow it just feels so invigorating when you're in a group of people so large like that even i used to chant with some groups that are 10 or 20 people and even those groups have really amazing energy when you're together with even that number of people and chanting together so when we chant, there's kind of like these little pauses where people know, okay, that's the place to take the breath. And if you learn about where those pauses are, like what I taught last week, and I'll remind you of this week, then everybody's kind of chanting along at the same time. And we're all kind of generally taking a breath around the same time. But the guidance that I give you guys on the breath and where to take the breath, if that feels comfortable for you to take a breath there, then do it. But if it feels comfortable for you to take it somewhere else, then you can take it somewhere else. It's not like a real rigid, fixed thing. But I kind of point out to you where the natural places are to take a breath because there's like a natural pause in the chant there. And that gives you the opportunity to become aware of the breath at those times. And that's going to help you in your meditation. 
Okay, so let's look at this first chant. I'll just kind of remind you guys of the chant. Remember, it's the triple gem or the triple jewel. It's paying respect and gratitude to the Buddha, the teachings, and the community, all of us coming together and supporting each other and helping each other along this path because we've all are really creating this community. So there's people that are looking up references in these books and providing references for all of us to benefit from. There's people who are proofreading these books. There's people who are making donations to support the work so that I can afford to pay things like Zoom and do the live streaming and purchase lights and microphones and computer stands and things like this. So as a community, we're all contributing together and developing this community where we can all learn and grow and kind of like a womb, like a mother's womb. That's what our community is becoming, like this womb that people can come into and grow up inside this mother's womb. Or another way you might think about it is like an ecosystem. We created this ecosystem with Facebook, YouTube, the podcast, the books, the personal guidance, the online classes, the retreats, all the different things that we have. This community is creating this mother's womb or this ecosystem that people can come into and really develop and grow and evolve their understanding of the teachings and train their mind and develop further and further. So not only do we have respect for the Buddha, not only do we have respect for the teachings, but respect for this community of people that comes together every week. We have these moderators. We have lots of people that are contributing in different ways. And we should all have gratitude and respect for each other because we're creating this mother's womb for us all to foster and grow within. Here, the way that we chant this is there's three individual phrases and you take a breath at the end of each phrase. So I'll just do it once and then we can do it together. It sounds like this. Arahang Samma Sambhoto Mahakava Breath there. Potang Bhakavanhang Apivate Ami And notice there's a period there. That's where we usually do a bow if you're sitting in a chair or if people are in a temple, we're usually sitting on the floor so people will kind of prostrate towards the ground as a way of showing respect to the Buddha, okay? We call that in Thai, we call it a clop. We're clopping, or we're doing a clop, or we might think of it in English as prostrating, or maybe bowing, okay? The next one is for the teachings. Sawakato Little breath here. There you see that period. That's where we do the bow. Little breath. Little breath. And here's where we do our bow, okay? And this is for the Buddha, the teachings, and the community. And now let's look at what I call the Natmotasa. This one is just one phrase that we repeat three times, and there's a breath in the middle, okay? So the way this one sounds is like this. 
นับมอทสาภาเกวาโตบรดอาราโตสัมมาสัมพุตสะ Nice breath here. Namorasapagato breath. Arahato samasamputasa. Nice breath. Namorasapagato. Arahato samasamputasa. Okay, there was a breath there in the middle, so three times that's the namotasa, and it's very simple, very calming, very settling. This is a good one to start out with if you've never done chanting before and you want to just take a small little bite. You might just kind of practice this one for a while until you can then develop the other chants. Or some people like to just develop all of them at one time. And then the last chant, I call it the etp so. This one I consider to be a little bit more intermediate, and I only consider it that way because it took me so long to learn it. But you guys are learning these really quickly, so you guys might think this is like one of the easiest ones. But for me, it was a bit challenging to get my mind around all the different syllables here. So this one is a little bit more involved, and there's places to breathe here as well. It sounds like this. Itipiso mahakwa breath arahang samasamoto breath vichacharanang samuno breath sakato rokavito Breath. Anu tero purisa. Breath. Dama sati sata tawa manu sanang. Breath. Puto pakawati. Kind of do a nice bow at the end of that one as well. Kind of drag out that last syllable. So that's the three chants, and I'd like to see if you guys have any questions on these before we actually do them together as a group. Seems we have no questions at this time, David. Okay, so let's do this. Let's do these chants as a group three times. So we'll go through the triple gem all the way through. I won't be cueing the breath. We'll go through the Natmotasa. We'll do that one, of course, the three phrases, and then we'll do the ETP so. So we'll go through it in a flow, one after another after another. James and I'll switch the slides. So we'll do one time through all three chants, and then we'll maybe take a little drink, maybe a little breather. Then we'll go through it again, and then we'll go through it again. And then after that, we'll open up to individuals being able to chant as well. So go ahead and bring your palms together, palm to palm, at your sternum. Take a nice deep breath, and then let's chant. Arahang sama samhoto mahakwa potang mahakwanang apivate ami. 
สวัสดีตัวมหากวัตตัมมุดามังนามสามิสุปเทปานุมหากวัตโตสาวกสังโฆสังฆานามามิน a p m o d a s a p a k v a t o arahato sama samputasa n a p m o d a s a p a k v a t o arahato sama samputasa นับมรสภากวัตโตอาราโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะอิติปิสุมากวัอาราหังสัมมาสัมพุทโตวิจจารณังสัมหุโนสขะโตโรกาวิตุอนุเตโรภูริสาดามาสติสัตตาวามานุสนังพุทโธภากวัติโอเค wonderful nice claps good job everyone someday we'll all be together in a big room in a temple at a retreat or something we'll all be able to chant together and it sounds so beautiful all right so let's do this again We'll just kind of get the vocal cords warmed up, get you guys in the flow of chanting together, following along with the voice guiding you, and uh, we'll do this again. So take a nice deep breath. Arahang sama samhuto mahakwa pootang mahakwa. ปีวาเตมีสวัสดีมหากวัตตัมมุดามังนามสามิสุปเทปานุมหากวัตโตสาวกสังโฆสังฆานามามิณปมรสภากวัตโตอาราตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะ
नपमोर्सवतो हूत नपमोर्सवतो I lost my track there. I don't know if that was the second one or the third one. Okay, James has switched already. It must have been the third one. Here we go. Nice deep breath. Iti piso mahakawa Arahang samasamuto विचाचारण समुनो सखातो रोगावितो अनुतेरो पुरीसा दामासातीसातावामानुसनं Bhūtō pākavāti. Okay, that was the second time through. Might need a little sip of water. For those of you guys that are chanting. All right, let's do our last one through, and then we'll open up to any volunteers who would like to uh, help us to hear your beautiful chanting, inspire us, and motivate us to chant even better so let's go from the top nice deep breath arahang samasamoto mahakawa potang mahakawanhang apivate ami Savakato mahakavata tammo Dhamang namasami Supatipano mahakavato Savakasangho Sanghang namami Napmorhasa bhagavato Arahato samasamputasa Napmorhasa bhagavato Arato samasaputasa Napmorhasa bhagavato Arato samasaputasa Iti piso mahakawa Arahang samasamuto 
ಉಚಾಚರಣಸಮುನೋ ಸಖಾತೋ ಅನುತರೋಪೂರಿ ಸತಿ ಸತಾತವಾನುಸ್ರಂ all right one thing that i would like to share with you guys is here in thailand about once a year they will have a period where household practitioners will go and stay at the temples for like 10 days and people who would like to go stay at the temples there might be like 100 people at this temple and 500 people at that temple and 50 people at this temple and a thousand people at that temple and all over the country there'll be people that will stay in the temples for like 10 days wearing white and as a household practitioner and while they're there of course they're learning the teachings of the buddha they're meditating they're interacting with each other they're doing walking meditation they're building relationships practicing right intention right speech right action all the other steps of the eightfold path but they're also working on their chanting as a group and they're chanting and chanting and they're practicing their chanting and then towards the end of that 10 day period different temples will kind of come together and there might be three four five ten different temples that they'll have this one big event at one particular temple and now the group of 50 that have been working on their chanting for the last 10 days they will all chant together and everybody else will listen And it's like, oh, wow, they're chanting so beautiful. Look at what they've accomplished over the last 10 days. And then this other group of 100 or 500 or 300 people will chant. And then everybody listens to them. And they'll chant for like, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, even longer sometimes. And it's like a display so that the individual communities are kind of working on their chanting. And then they kind of come together as a way of, encouraging and supporting and motivating each other by hearing other people chant it kind of is like oh wow i really like how chrissy did that that was beautiful or wow james said that really nice i think i'm gonna use that way of kind of pronouncing that syllable or oh judith transitioned from one chant to the next really nicely i like how she did that i'll start chanting that way so what i would like to do kind of in that same spirit is open up to you guys that are in zoom so if you're in facebook or youtube you'll need to come into zoom to participate is those of you guys that are in zoom is you can volunteer by electronically raising your hand and the moderators will call on you and then you just open up your mic and go through the chants one by one and we'll all listen we'll all participate in observing your chanting and then if you'd like some coaching i'll just give you a little bit of coaching of maybe how to improve one thing or another certain aspects of your chanting and then it'll really be encouraging and supportive for you and it'll also be supportive and encouraging for all the rest of us to hear your chanting as well so if there's anybody who would like to volunteer feel free to electronically raise your hand and the moderators are calling you and give you an opportunity to do some chanting nick has volunteered so let's start off with nick all right listen to nick Ara-hang-sama-sa-ram-budo-pagawa-o-tang-magawa-na-na-piwa-te-ni 
So some suggestions for you. First of all, it sounds like it's coming out of a temple somewhere. Sometimes if you go around in the morning or nights on the streets of Thailand, the temples are open air temples. So as you're walking down the street, you can hear some of the chanting coming out of the the windows of the temples kind of boiling over into the street. It kind of sounds a little bit like that. But some things for you to focus on is you've got the uh, syllable, the pronunciation of the syllables correct. Every single individual syllable was spot on. But you might be trying to remember them a little bit better because there's not this cadence. You would like to get this cadence to it where it's really nice and flowing. There's a couple places where there's pauses that are a little bit too long or maybe going a little bit too fast maybe in some areas but mostly the pauses so if i was you i'd start working on getting a tempo where it's like right so get like a really nice flow to it because you've got the pronunciation and you've got the resonance, you're really resonating really well. But if you need to work on the memorization a little bit in order to flow, to get that flow in there and that more consistency, 
that will really improve the way that the chants are sounding. But that was really nice. I appreciate you volunteering and sharing that. Okay, thank you, sir. I'll keep that in mind, the tempo. Yeah, sounds good. Are there other people who would like to volunteer? The ladies usually... Okay, I was going to say the ladies usually sound really beautiful. So we had Nick, we have James. Let's get the guys out of the way so we can all have our deep voice. And then the ladies are going to come in here and show us up real quick and real easy. for you is exactly the same as Nick just get that tempo going you know really focus on that tempo I think that's where you'll need the the help that'll help get kind of a little bit more of a consistency throughout it's almost like hypnotic when you're chanting you know that's why like when we were doing that one chant I kind of lost my spot for a minute that's why you have to really have mindfulness and concentration during your chants because you can almost put yourself to sleep if you're chanting really well so uh, you would like to get it to that point where it's almost hypnotic where it's like so just very hypnotic like a clock like tick tock tick tock 
But yeah, your same thing. You've got the pronunciations down. You've got the memorization down, I know. But just getting that consistent tone all the way throughout and uh, methodical as you go through. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Who's next? I believe that Boston said we have a volunteer. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Arahan <clears throat> Sama Awesome. That's sounding good. I think probably a little bit more like talked about with James and Nick, you know, kind of a little bit more fluid and flowing throughout, but sounds really good. Something I would like to share with everybody is that whether it's chanting, whether it's painting your fence, whether it's cleaning your house or washing your car or any kind of activity that you're going to do as part of your life, you would like to put intention behind it. You know, we talk about right intention of this intention of renunciation, intention of non-ill will, and intention of harmlessness. And that's what the Buddha taught about right intention. But also, whenever you do something, whether it's chanting, whether it's meditating, whether it's cleaning your house, cleaning your car, painting a fence, crocheting, hanging up Christmas lights around your dwelling, whether it's 
washing your dogs, feeding your dogs, whatever it is that you do in life, you should have intention behind it. You should have meaning behind it. It should be like you're on point. I think you guys know what that slang means. Like when you're on point, it's like you're putting your effort into it. You're putting your energy into it. You don't have to be intense, but you would like to be sure like, okay, if you're going to teach a class, for example, with Buddhism, okay, have your slides ready, be on point, like be ready to, to teach. Or if you're going to teach, be sure that you're ready to deliver a discourse. The Buddha talked about when you're teaching his teachings, he said it should be good at the beginning, good in the middle and good in the end. Whenever you're doing a discourse, whenever you're teaching students, he said, always be sure it's good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good at the end. Essentially, have some consistency in teaching and sharing these teachings. Don't like start off good and then fade out, or don't start off bad and then you lose your audience and then you try to like do a better job in your teaching after that. He said, be good in the beginning, the middle, and the end. And you can apply this to everything, even though he talked about it as in relationship to sharing his teachings, whether you're chanting, whether you're meditating, whether you're having a conversation with your kids or your life partner, whether you're working in your profession, no matter what you do as a profession, whether you're just cleaning your house at home or washing your car, be good in the beginning, good in the middle and good at the end. Put your intention into it and do something with really good quality. So always be sure that you're bringing your all to every single activity that you're involved in. This will produce wholesome benefits, wholesome results for you. Where if we're kind of lackluster and we don't really put our heart into something, then we're not really putting forth our full effort. But every time you show up to do something, you always would like to bring your full heart, your full wisdom, your full energy, everything that you've got to bear. You just bring that every single time. So that way you're good at the beginning, good in the middle, and good at the end. And if you do that with chanting, then it will actually spill over into other parts of your life so that when you're in your profession or you're having a conversation with your wife or husband or parents or uh, you're going over somebody's house for dinner, right? Like when you show up, greet them politely, say hello, maybe bring them a little bit of a gift, maybe offer to help in the kitchen and preparing things for the party that you guys are going to have all through the party, you know, see where things you can help. And then at the end, maybe help clean up too. doesn't mean you have to run yourself ragged or be really intense with it. Still enjoy yourself, but you would like to just bring your all and contribute all that you have to give. You don't want to leave anything on the table, right? When, you, when you're coming to a certain activity, you don't want to leave anything on the table. When you walk out of that person's house that invited you over for dinner, you would like to walk out feeling like, yeah, I did my best there. I like really greeted people, talked with people, showed that I was interested in having conversation all through the event. I was attempting to be helpful and beneficial to others. And then at the end, I also attempted to help and contribute to cleaning up. And then when you leave that environment, you have peace of mind like, yes, I did my very best to contribute to this activity. So you would like to do that with something like chanting or meditation or anything that you're doing in life. Always bring your all and be good at the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then when you're done, you know that you gave your best effort. That's essentially what this boils down to is always giving your best effort. 
in anything and everything that you do. And if you do that with everything in your life, then you'll always be producing wholesome results because you're always bringing 100% of your effort in each activity. So who would like to go next? Looks like Christy Christy has her hand raised, so let's get her. All right, gentlemen, get ready to squash your egos because these girls are going to start chanting and you guys are going to hear some real chanting now. outstanding Chrissy really outstanding but what I would like to do is help you with your pronunciations on the very first one so James if you could go to the triple gem what I'd like to do is have you chant the first line and then when you chant I'm going to help you with the pronunciation on just a couple of syllables of this particular chant so can you chant the first uh, phrase okay so just start at the beginning? Yeah, just start at the beginning and do the Arahang Sama. Okay. Arahang Sama Samoto Pakawa Potang Pakawantang Hapiwati Hami. Temi. Say it again. Temi. Tay me? Yeah, T A A. Okay. 
So do that. Do putang pakawantang. Do that one again. Um, I don't know if I can start from right there. Okay, start at the arahang then. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Um, arahangs. Oh, I lost it. <laughs> arahang sama samoto pakawa. Potang pakawantang apiwate ami. Yeah, you got it. Perfect. All right, go to the next one. Sawakato pakawata tamo damanamasami. Okay, damang mang. Namasami. Damang namasami. Yeah, you want to do that one again? Sawakato. Sawakato. Pakawata tamo. Damang namasami. Nice. Okay, now do the last one. Supati pano pakawato sawaka sangho sangha namami sangkang Kang Kang like Kung Fu. Oh, so beautiful. Did you hear that part at the end? Oh my goodness, that was really beautiful. Okay, can you do the whole thing for us again? Like the whole whole thing? No, just this chant. Okay. <clears throat> Arahang samasamoto pakawa kotang pakawantang apiwate mi sawakato pakawata tamo damang Oh, beautiful. Really nice, Chrissy. Good job. Look at Bossum smiling. <laughs> All right. So beautiful. Who's next? Anyone? Let's get a Miranda in there. Okay.
just relaxing into it a little bit more i think knowing that you're being broadcasted over the internet probably doesn't help the the mind but you're shaking your head no yeah so um it can help you get through any kind of shyness it certainly can so rather than uh even when you're being broadcast on the internet who cares right just let go just let it go who cares so what um so other than that i'm sure when you do this on your own you're probably much more relaxed because you don't have you know, a bunch of people listening, but that's the only thing I would suggest is just relax into it a bit. But I know that that's from kind of performing it for lots of people, which is creating that in the mind. But even there, if you can get the mind comfortable there, when you are being recorded and broadcasting to lots of people, if you can get comfortable there, when you're doing it on your own, oh, it's so easy. You're like in your room by yourself. It's so easy. Um, So yeah, that was really nice. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, sir. Yes, a little bit of a stage fright. <laughs> yeah, we can all have that, you know, until our mind lets go of that personal existence view and no longer cares about how you're perceived in the world, uh, not holding on to that self-identity or that self-image. You can just relax into it and not have a care in the world, and that's where the mind can be at ease. So, yeah, this is good for y'all's practice, not only your chanting practice, but it's good for the mind to let go of that personal existence view. Wonderful. Yes, sir. Thank you. are welcome. You, You're welcome. Who's next? Believe Judith, Judith would like to go now. Okay, here we go, Judith. We're gonna make Hello. we're gonna make like a daily wisdom greatest hits. Track one will be Nick, track two will be James, track three will be Bossom. Chrissy's track four, Miranda's track five, and now Judith will be track six. <laughs> Can I start? Yes, go for it. Okay. I do my melody a little bit different. Yes, I know. I always enjoy listening to all of you guys chant. When I follow you, I do your melody, but the one I do the one I, I was taught. Well, well, think about this, right? Like we understand the universal truth of impermanence, right? So it's impossible for every single student to chant exactly the same way. That's not what we're going after. That's not what we're even trying to uh, do because we know the universal truth of impermanence. It's impossible for everyone to chant exactly the same. But we generally kind of chant within the same tempo, the same harmony. And then when we all come together, there's this really nice harmony that we're all chanting. But even though we say similar, there's all these differences and uniquenesses about each individual person's chanting. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy listening to people chant, is to hear those little differences and uniquenesses. So it's not possible for 
any of us to chant exactly the same as each other because of the universal truth of impermanence. All right, you're up, Judith. share with you is getting some consistency throughout your chanting there's some places where it's a little bit slow and other places where it's a little bit fast but that last line you did was very consistent the anuta purisa. it was very consistent so if you make all the rest of your phrases the way that you made that one i think you'll hear a better consistency throughout your chanting so that would be my suggestion for you yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Is there anyone else that would like to chant? Let's see, who else do we have? I think uh, that's everybody on Zoom. So everyone on Zoom's already volunteered, so there's no one else here that is available. All right. Well, looks like we've come to the end of our class. What I'll do is just encourage you guys to continue to practice. Next week, we'll do some more chanting together and uh, take any questions you guys have as you're meditating in the morning and evening you can be working on your chanting i'll see if there's any questions you guys have related to chanting or meditation or the middle way or any aspect of the eightfold path see if there's any questions you guys have before we wrap up class hi david so we've just been practicing the verbalization of the chants so i was wondering is there any time where one may chant non-verbally and would one receive similar benefits in that way? Yes, I've chanted non-verbally sometimes just in the mind, like I've mentioned last class, like on a plane or if my son is here in the room sleeping and I need to do some chanting or meditation, I'll just kind of do it quietly in the head. 
And I feel that it definitely helps with the mindfulness and concentration. I don't get the awareness of breath, of course, because I'm not vocalizing. So there's definitely still some benefits in terms of mindfulness, concentration, memory, just all the other things that we talked about in terms of the benefits, except you don't get that benefit of awareness of breath, but everything else is still there. And you mentioned at the beginning of class about personal existence view and shyness and how that could potentially prohibit one from sharing their chanting with the world. And if there was anyone that did want to chant that was feeling that shyness, do you have any advice on what they can work on going forward to perhaps be open toward sharing their chanting? Yeah, see, the way that the unenlightened mind works is, you know, First of all, when you're not on the path, you don't know what enlightenment is and what it's not. You just have shyness or you have frustration or you have all these other discontent feelings. And typically what the unenlightened mind wants to do is it wants to run away from these things. So when a person is maybe in an environment where they're potentially going to do public speaking or they're invited to participate in the public, they feel that shyness. It's uncomfortable. It might even be painful for some people. And they run away from it. They're like, no, 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 I'm not volunteering. No way, no way. You know, they're, they're just completely rejected and they walk in the opposite direction. This is aversion. Or if you feel frustration or irritation in a certain conversation, in the unenlightened mind, off the path, we blame this person or we blame the situation. We think it's their fault. And we have aversion, we push it away and we walk in the opposite direction. And we think we're solving the problem that we think that this other person in the conversation is the problem. I'm feeling frustrated. It must be this other person that's causing me to be frustrated. So I'm just going to leave from this other person, walk in the other direction, no longer talk to that person ever again, and that solves the problem. That's what the unenlightened mind thinks, but it's a delusion. It's ignorance. It's unknowing a true reality because the problem never gets solved because that person, while they felt frustration or they felt shyness, or they felt irritation in a certain situation, they're going to feel those same exact feelings in another situation, in another situation, another situation. And they just keep pushing the situations away. They keep pushing the people away because they think they're solving the problem, but they're really not. And this keeps the mind in the unenlightened state because of that ignorance, that unknowing of true reality, that delusion. But once you get on this path, and you realize, okay, the real problem is craving anger and ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. The real problem is in my own mind. All these people that I've been pushing out of my life, while they have problems, and I'm sure they have their own challenges, they aren't the reason why I'm getting angry. They're not the reason why I'm frustrated. This situation isn't the reason why I'm shy. The situation is there, but the real problem is this personal existence view or this craving anger and ignorance, all these fetters. That's the real problem is the pollution in the mind. So once you're on the path and you realize that the real problem is all these pollutions in your mind, when situations come up where you're feeling shy, rather than run away from it, like you used to do in the past and push it away and be like, no, 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 no way I'm going to participate in that. I'm not getting up there on that stage. No way. Rather than do that, because that just keeps the problem in the mind. The mind's still polluted it's still shy. It still has aversion. What you do instead in order to break through and get to enlightenment is you're like, whoa, the mind's feeling discontent here. I feel shyness. 
I don't want to get up on that stage. Or I, I should say, the mind doesn't want to get up on that stage. The mind is feeling this discontentedness. But you don't let the mind control you. If you're interested to get to enlightenment, don't let the mind control you. So where you observe the mind has shyness and it doesn't want to get up on that stage, then you're like, okay, Mrs. Mind, or okay, Mr. Mind, I'm not going to let you take me in the opposite direction of this shyness. I'm not going to let you take me away from this stage. I'm going to actually walk towards it. I'm going to walk towards that stage. And even though it's going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to feel a little bit strange why I'm doing it, and I might trip over my words and I might have some challenges up there, I'm going to go do it because I'm going to break through this shyness. I'm going to break through this uncomfortableness. I'm going to put the mind in this situation that it's uncomfortable with. And by putting the mind in that situation that it's uncomfortable with, it's going to train the mind to be comfortable in that situation. Because an enlightened mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in any and all situations. There's nothing that can shake up an enlightened mind. There's no such thing as a shy, enlightened being. There's no such thing as a fearful, enlightened being. There's no such thing as an enlightened being who has anger or frustration or irritation or sadness or any of these other things. So when we experience in the unenlightened state, this shyness arise or this uncomfortableness arise with anything and everything, you should actually put the mind in that situation so that you train it that, hey, there's nothing to fear here. There's no problem. And you're essentially looking at it as part of your training. Just like you retreat to meditate two or three times a day and you're completely comfortable in the room with the lights off, meditating on your own, and that's part of your training. Another part of your training is when you're in public and you feel shyness or you feel awkward or you feel anxiety, that's the discontentedness. The mind isn't comfortable. There's some craving, desire, attachments there. There's some pollution of mind that's causing those discontent feelings. So rather than run away from that and allow the problem to remain in the mind, what a wise practitioner would do is walk towards this problem, walk towards this challenge that the mind isn't comfortable with, put the mind in that situation and train it to be comfortable. So if you are in a mall or you're in an elevator and you see that going up to the fifth floor is scary and fearful for you, and you're like, no, 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 I'm not going up on the fifth floor. I only go up to the second level and that's it. I'm not going any further. That's the mind being fearful of heights. And rather than keep running from that and continuing to be discontent and uncomfortable, you put the mind in that situation. Go up to the third floor, get acclimated, get comfortable with that. Once you feel good about that, go up to the fourth floor, in the fifth floor, and so forth, and gradually get acclimated to feeling comfortable in this situation where the mind is can be comfortable in any and all situations. Because an enlightened mind is going to be comfortable in any and all situations. No shyness, no fear, no anxiety whatsoever. Whereas if we just keep running from these problems, it's like sweeping the dust under the carpet. The problem still exists in the mind. You haven't confronted it. So in a situation like this, if you're noticing you're shy, then walk towards it. And this is something that you've done, James, is like you've talked about this publicly, is that when you were in the first iteration of the group learning program, you talked about your shyness. And my feedback to you was, oh, James, you've got to like 
step forward and you've got to like find ways to like break through this shell and then next thing i know it's like you're volunteering to be the moderator and that's really helped you to come out of this shell and not be shy anymore and that's what you do that's how you practice the teachings when we talk about learning reflecting and practicing that practice is essentially training the mind to be comfortable in any and all situations. So when you see discontentedness arise and the mind wants to run in the opposite direction, that's the anxiety, that's the fear, that's the stress, that's the shyness. You can give in to that stuff and you can keep running away from it your entire life if you like, but you're going to keep experiencing those feelings over and over again. It's not until you turn around and you face it and you say, no, 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 Mr. Mind, Mrs. Mind, I'm not going to allow you to have me run away anymore. I'm going to confront this challenge. I'm going to put you in the situation that you're uncomfortable with and train you to be comfortable. And that's what you've been doing with moderating now. This is your second time going through as the moderator. And even in the second iteration of the group learning program, you moderated there and you tend to volunteer and ask questions. So those of you guys that are experiencing some shyness or you have experienced stage fright or you don't like public speaking and things like this these kind of situations are ideal situations for you to break through that wall and not just when you're in class with me and having these opportunities but if you're in your community and there's opportunities for you and you see that the mind wants to be shy and it's uncomfortable and it wants to run in the other direction instead as long as there's no harm to the physical body and you're not maintaining an abusive situation where you're being physically abused or something like this or mentally abused or something like that, as long as it's just like stage fright or fear of public speaking or you know, you're at a party of 10 people and you don't feel comfortable talking up because you're afraid of how other people are gonna judge you, well, when you get rid of that you, and you realize that you don't need to meet other people's expectations and people are going to have whatever perceptions they have, then you can break through that shyness. You can break through that anxiety and just train the mind to be comfortable in any and all situations. doesn't mean you go to every situation. doesn't mean you show up to every party. But if you're at an event or you're at a situation and you're observing anxiety, you're observing stress, that's actually the most ideal place for the mind to practice being in that environment and training itself to be comfortable in any and all situations. So don't ever lose the opportunity where you see the mind is uncomfortable. Use that opportunity to make it feel comfortable. I call this kind of wringing out the rag. If you've got this rag of dirty water, which the NLA mind has all this pollution. If you've got this rag of dirty water and you're trying to get out all the pollution, you're going to run it under nice cold water and try to get out all the the dirtiness out of the rag and then you're going to wring it out and wring it out and wring it out and then you're going to run it under some more water and then you're going to wring it out and wring it out and wring it out some more then you're going to run it under some more water and wring it out and wring it out and wring it out some more and this is how you clear out the mind is in any situation where you see the mind has this discontentedness arise you know there's pollution there so you'd like to wring it out. And the way that you wring it out is put the mind in the situations where it feels uncomfortable and you train it to be comfortable in any and all situations.
it's interesting that you say rather than I am shy that the mind is shy because it seems that just that little switch can be very disempowering of one's anxiety or shyness just that little switch right there so it's very interesting yeah when you study the words of the buddha and you see where he talks about getting rid of the conceit i am he says that that's his exact words you know like develop the perception of impermanence to eliminate the conceit i am so what you're trying to do is disassociate with this i so instead of saying i am shy and kind of taking ownership over the shyness as if it's permanent because it's not there really is no i here instead think of it as the mind shy but i am not shy because there's no i here so let me train this mind almost like it's this third entity and choose to put it in situations where yeah it's uncomfortable it doesn't want to be in that situation and put it there and do it multiple times until you train it to be comfortable and this is how you work on all these different situations if you're finding that when you talk to me you're able to practice right speech like perfectly but when you talk to your partner or you talk to your children you have a hard time practicing right speech that means you need to be talking to your partner and your children more so that you can refine your speech and you can work on your speech or if you have trouble talking with your ex-spouse for example and you still have kids and you have to work together with the ex-spouse then rather than run away from that and go hide and be fearful and not practicing instead walk towards it and confront it and put the mind in that situation where okay if you're comfortable speaking right speech with me then that means you have the ability to speak right speech the mind has the capability of doing that now it's just a matter of figuring out how to do that with other people in your life and the reason why you have challenges with other people in your life is because there's craving desire attachments there that you don't have with me so i make sure that when i work with students that they don't have craving desire attachment if i observe that they have attachment i help them to eliminate it and this allows you to actually practice things like right speech easier when there is no craving desire attachments when there's craving desire attachments it's really difficult for the mind to practice right speech this is why people have challenges with ex-spouses or current life partners or current children that they have they will struggle a lot more in those relationships because the mind's still holding on with attachment there where with me they won't have any issues at all using right speech so if you think about this mind as like this third entity and you're training this mind to function as an enlightened being then you know that this shyness isn't me it's not who i am this anger isn't me this isn't who i am this arrogance this pride this ill will this you know wrong speech this physical body this identity of what the mind is trying to hold on to none of that stuff is you it's not the permanent self because none of that stuff is permanent so it can't be the permanent self so if you change your wording and you start disassociating with the physical body and the mind as being i and who i am then this helps the mind to let go of that self this is actually one of the reasons why the buddha shaved his hair because he wasn't interested in projecting a certain self-image this is also why he wore rags and simple clothing 
because he wasn't interested in projecting a certain self-image because in his previous life as a prince, he was wearing amazing fabrics and clothing. He had amazingly beautiful hair. He had all this esteem and all this riches and wealth and people knew who he was and all of these things. So when he stepped into working on trying to attain enlightenment, he shaved his hair and he put on rags right away to disassociate with this physical body as being the self or being the self image and projecting that self image in the world. So there's things like this that we do in order to train the mind to not associate with this physical body as being the self. Shaving the head is one thing. Men and women do this in some situations if you would like to, you are not required to, but it is one way to actually work on eliminating the self. Wearing simple clothing or even if you have certain clothing now, you can just stack them up and then just pick the one off the top of your stack instead of like standing in front of the closet and letting the mind choose how do I want to look today? That's part of that self image. Instead, if you just take all your clothes and just line them up in a closet or stack them up and you just pick whichever one's on top, don't give the mind the opportunity to project a certain self image by choosing your clothing just have simple clothing and just choose whatever's on top. In this way, the mind never gets a chance to make a choice to project a certain self-image. And you disassociate with this physical body and mind as being who you are as a person. And this is why there's many different qualities of mind or many different identities that we can start to disassociate and even not consider ourselves that. And this is why you see things in the world where People are even starting to disassociate with certain genders. Maybe their body that the body has is maybe has male sexual organs or female sexual organs, but the mind doesn't associate with either one of those. This is what they call non-binary, right? People's minds are getting to the point where it's like, I'm not even interested in associating with being a male or a female. That's not even something the mind is interested in holding on to. So even people who aren't on this path are starting to kind of think of themselves as not even being male or female, but they're just a human being or non-binary. They're just a human being. Okay. I happen to have male sex organs or I happen to have female sex organs, but I don't identify with that as being who I am. And this is very healthy for the mind because if somebody has a female sexual organs, for example, but their mind doesn't identify with that, then they're liberated from identifying with I am a female or same thing with a man. If the man has a male sex organs, but the mind doesn't identify with that, I am a male. Then if the mind does identify with these things, if you hear somebody disparage women and talk negatively about women, or you hear someone disparage men and talk horribly about men, and you identify with your gender, then that person is going to have anger or frustration or irritation because of this holding on to the gender. And I'm not saying that people should let go of their gender necessarily. I consider myself a male. I'm a human being, happen to be male in this life. But if somebody was like, all men are horrible, they're all this, they're all that, I wouldn't get upset about that because I know that that's not true and that's just the person's judgment, their lack of wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. 
But if somebody's mind is holding on really tightly and identifying with not just genders, but other attributes of self-identity, then this only introduces the ability for the mind to get angry or frustrated, have some kind of other discontentedness as a result of holding on to the self-identity or the self-image. So by thinking of the mind as being the separate entity, instead of these feelings or who you are as a person, then that discontentedness that you're experiencing, it's not you, that's not who you are. That's just what the mind is experiencing because of the craving desire attachment. So we clear out the craving desire attachment and the mind won't experience those feelings anymore because those feelings are impermanent. But as long as the mind's holding on to this pollution, including the personal existence view, then it's going to continue to have discontentedness. So one of the ways to let go of this personal existence view, this first fetter, is start to think of it as the mind and the body. And neither one of those things are you, who you are as a person. We're looking at this being called James, and it's been labeled James from birth, but that's not James. That's not like the one unique James because there's millions of Jameses in the world. So this isn't a permanent James that we're looking at. This is just a physical body and a mind that has come together for this existence. It's been labeled James to make it easy for people to refer to and know who this being James is and you know who we're talking about. But in reality, it's just a mind and a physical body that has come together for this existence. And if you start thinking that way and you start reflecting that way and seeing it that way as there's just this physical body and just this mind, then you can disassociate with people who talk negative about certain things that you do. You don't associate with those things as being who you are as a person. So therefore, it doesn't arise discontentedness. Or if someone was like, everyone who has a goatee is blah, 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 blah. And they're talking negative and you won't experience painful feelings if you don't identify with that as being who you are. And likewise, if someone's like, oh, everyone that has a goatee is just so handsome and so desirable. Oh, they're so handsome. Then there's that arrogance and that pride, those pleasant feelings that can arise with that. So if we don't associate with these physical attributes or these mental attributes, then the mind can reside in the middle being unaffected by all of these things that we hear on a daily basis from news or friends or family or other people. Thank you, David. I think that one would be very hard for us to find a more supportive, non-judgmental, loving environment. So if anyone is dealing with any issues of social anxiety, shyness, I think this is, based on my experience, certainly the perfect environment to work on those things. Yeah, and that's really wonderful to be in a supportive group, right, where you know that it's safe for you to participate. People aren't going to laugh at you. People aren't going to scowl at you. People aren't going to heckle you. And you can build some confidence and, and feel comfortable. Even though this body isn't you who you are, you got to feel comfortable in your own skin. It's not your skin. It doesn't belong to you, right? But there's a certain comfort that the mind has to feel comfortable in this skin. And as you do that, it's nice to be in a supportive, encouraging environment where you know people are going to be supportive. And then you can build your confidence and see what it's like to be around supportive, encouraging people. And then when you're somewhere else and people aren't supportive and they aren't encouraging, 
then you realize like, you know what? I'm not interested in being around people like this. This isn't the type of relationships that I would like to cultivate in my life. These people are mocking me. They're talking bad about me. That's not as a reflection of who I am as a person. That's a reflection of who they are as a person. If they feel like they need to mock people and degrade people and talk negative and gossip and slander, I don't think I'm interested in being around that kind of environment and those type of people. So I'm going to choose not to associate with those kind of people, still work on my own practice, but I'm going to choose not to be around that type of environment. I'm going to be around wholesome people. And this is why the Buddha taught about having wholesome friends and wholesome companions and wholesome comrades, because then you can be in a supportive environment that will help you grow and improve your mind. There's still work that you need to do. You can't just live in this bubble with only people that you've selected to be in your bubble. You still got to work on the mind so that when you're outside your bubble, that it's not shaken up. But having that nice little comfortable bubble of a community like this, where the people are encouraging, motivating, and supportive, it can be really nice to build your confidence so that then when you're outside of that and you observe unwholesomeness, you just choose that, you know, I'm not interested in participating in this and I can be in this environment and feel really nice and feel really good because everyone's supportive. And when I'm in this environment, it doesn't feel the same. And that's not a reflection of me, of who I am as a person. That's a reflection of how these people are choosing to practice. And I'm not interested in being part of that. I'm not going to look down on them. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to think negative of them. I'm going to have loving kindness and compassion for them. But I'm just going to choose not to associate with people who degrade me, who diminish me, who mock me, who are impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful. Because there's just not enough time in the world if we continue to associate with those kind of people or those kind of environments, then we go into those environments, our mind gets shaken up, and now we don't feel whole inside. So... When you're in environments like this, you can feel the love, so to speak, right? You can feel the love. And then when you're outside of that, you feel if you are around people that you don't feel that same love, then you know, like, okay, this isn't probably an environment that I would like to be in and I would be like to be part of. So then you just kind of associate with people that are supportive and encouraging, inviting and loving and kind, unconditional love for you. And then this community helps you to see what that feels like. What does it feel like to be part of a community that's very supportive? What does it feel like to have a relationship with a teacher who wants nothing from me, has no expectations of me, loves me unconditionally, and is willing to help me regardless of anything? Let me feel what that relationship of non-attachment feels like to have a relationship where there is no attachment. And now that I feel what that feels like, now I can replicate that with my parents, with my siblings, with my life partner, with my children. So this is why the Buddha says you have to go to the Buddha, the teachings and the community in order to attain enlightenment, because you need to feel what that feels like in order to be part of a community and practice non-attachment. And then when you're with other people outside of this community, then you know how to cultivate those relationships because you know what non-attachment feels like 
within the community of Buddhist practitioners that you're practicing with. Because you can't always just associate with people that are part of your community. You're going to need to interact with people that aren't in your community. But if you get that feeling of what it feels like to practice within your community, then when you're outside, you can replicate those relationships. It's the same thing when you're meditating and you discover that middle way and the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. The mind is at ease and you feel that middle when you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation or walking meditation. You feel that middle and you get more and more accustomed to knowing what that middle feels like. Then when you're in your daily life and the mind is not in the middle, you can recognize it right away. You're like, aha, the mind's not in the middle because I know what that middle feels like when I'm meditating. And when I'm in the middle, I can feel the mind being in the middle and that mind feels at ease. It feels so peaceful. And then when you're in daily life and you feel the mind going away from the middle, you can catch it, you can observe it right away, and then you can pull it back to be in the middle. But you never will know that until you train the mind to observe and feel what that middle feels like. So the same thing when you're in an environment of people that are supportive, encouraging, and loving, then you know what that feels like. So then when you are in a relationship that doesn't feel that way, then you know that this is unhealthy and perhaps you might need to move on or perhaps you need to do some work to clean up this relationship a bit, depending on who the individual is and how much longer of a time that you need to be in a particular relationship with this person. Because people like ex-spouses, you don't really kind of have a choice there. You have to associate with this person for the next 10, 12, 15 years. And in certain situations like that, you need to feel what it feels like to have a healthy relationship and then work on kind of cleaning this up with the person so that then you can get the relationship on a stable footing. Thank you, David. That's just be all we have for today. All right. So thank you all for joining for today's class, whether you're attending live or whether you're listening to this on the replay. Thank you for dedicating your time, effort, energy, and resources to learning and practicing these teachings. Thank you for your determination and your diligence to continue to learn and practice. This Sunday, we're going to be in Chapter 7 of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. This Chapter 7 is all about the five precepts. If you've heard that the Buddha taught no killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, no lying, no intoxicants, you haven't studied the Buddha's teachings as it relates to the five precepts. We're going to be using the words of the Buddha so that you can see what he truly taught about the five precepts because his wording is actually much more illuminating than the way that some people try to summarize his teachings as no, 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 no. Almost like it's rules or commandments or something. That's not what he taught. He taught the five precepts as guidance to help you move to this enlightened mental state. So I'm going to share the five precepts in detail with you using the Buddha's words and going into some various aspects of those. Then next Wednesday, we'll do Buddhist chanting again together as our third class in this four-part series. So between now and Wednesday, just keep practicing your Buddhist chanting. Continue to make it part of your meditation practice and you'll be able to develop it more and more. And then if you'd like to join on Sunday or listen to the replay, you'll be able to learn in depth what the Buddha taught about the five precepts. And this is a great way to 
ramp up your practice and these five precepts plug into the Eightfold Path so it'll really help you to be able to practice that middle way that the Buddha taught. So between now and the next time I see you, have a lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.